Hello, and welcome to the R Resources Podcast. I'm your host, Kalen Brand. What does a financial analyst do? That is a question I, I first had when I first met today's guest, Sean De La Bar, through our shared experiences starting Young Mining Professionals chapters. Sean is a financial analyst based out of Switzerland who focuses on Glencore's aluminum assets. Uh, when I first met Jean, I, w- I was struck that there was someone that was dedicated in, in Switzerland, a place with very little mining, um, specifically to mining and, and mining for aluminum. And during today's episode, we talk about what exactly it means to be a financial analyst and how his job is to basically maximize the revenue allocation in order to further capitalize upon their aluminum business. And and to my surprise, this, this takes a lot of work. I, I wouldn't have I previously didn't understand how much work and how much effort goes into the concept of reallocating funds in order to maximize the investment. Um, so Jean, during the episode, speaks about the research he conducts in order to make sure that um, all of Glencore's assets are, are able to continue to grow, as well as the negotiations that he has between his team and the operations on the ground on uh, concepts like capital expenditures, operating expenditures. And being sure that all the operations have the funds that they need in order to truly succeed. Um, it, it really highlights the, the teamwork that's needed to make a successful multinational company like Glencore run. Um, and this is something that... Uh, Jean talks about in in detail, not only within mining and in his position, but also within his experience starting Young Mining Professionals Switzerland. Beyond his background in finance, Jean is also just simply a fascinating person to talk to. Um, He comes from a very different background than than I have and very different background than our previous guests. And during the conversation, this comes to the surface about halfway through as we start to dive into concepts like ESG, foreign investment, and mining mining's reputation and and Jean has some very uh, complex and nuanced opinions about these topics Um, and contrary to my skeptical borderline pessimistic view on uh, many of of mining's policies uh, Jean explained why he believes that because the mining industry is inherently connected to the land that miners are wanting to embrace ESG and we're also an industry that's well prepared to embrace ESG because of the other challenges that mining faces Um, and and overall it's a it's a far-reaching conversation we touch on a lot of concepts like i said ranging between of mine finance internal rates return some of those technical topics um, but then shoot off into esg and some of these larger scale issues that our industry is facing and, and each of us have a chance to contribute to and then we we end the conversation on a positive note talking about young mining professionals uh, which is the the sponsor for the podcast um, and something that both John and I feel very passionate about um, and he explains his role as as being a leader in young mining professionals and how he wants to use it to help uh, break down the barriers between disciplines within the mining industry which is uh, exactly what this podcast is here to do that said if you have a 
topic or a person that you would like to see on the All Resources podcast, feel free to reach out at Arizona at youngmoneyprofessionals.com or my personal email, which is the first three letters of my first name, C-A-E, then my last name, Burand, B-U-R-A-N-D at gmail.com or follow me on LinkedIn. Any of these ways will be a good way to get in contact with me and share what you would like to see on the R Resources podcast. As always, I, I hope that you enjoyed today's conversation between me and Sean De Labar. And I really hope that all of the listeners are able to gain some valuable practical knowledge through this podcast. Um, and I'm looking forward to continuing the podcast and bringing on new and diverse guests that, that are able to do this for the listeners. Anyway, take care and on with the episode. Lastly, today's guests, just like all of our wonderful guests on the R Resources podcast, are here representing their own opinions. Everything that they say on today's episode is their own opinion and does not represent the official position of any specific company or the mining industry as a whole. Uh, so with that said, let's get going with the conversation. Gene DeLabar, thank you for being on the R Resources podcast. Um, my first question for you is, did I did I pronounce your last name correct? Uh, yeah, it was not too bad. It's just the first name, actually. It's Jean, like Jean. Jean, oh man, how did I mess that one up? Um, sorry about that. No worries. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you for being on podcast. Um, so you're a, a financial analyst based out of Switzerland. Um, and to, to start off, I was trying to do my research basically on Switzerland's mining industry and found out that you guys have four active opter operations and all four of them are processing facilities. So I, I want to ask, how are you in the mining industry? Yeah, thanks, thanks, Karin, and thanks for inviting me on on your show. Uh, so indeed, yeah, I see you did your your, your homework, and uh, I appreciate that. Um, actually, I have to say maybe just before that, although uh, there are only four processing operations in Switzerland, uh, there's actually a, a kind of a, a mining industry within Switzerland, uh, okay. historical mining industry, um, which which comes from. Uh, like uh, first, uh, we have lots of queries, uh, and one of the largest cement producers in uh, in, uh, in Switzerland is uh, Allsim, uh, which is quite a big uh, big company. Uh, and also, when you hike across the Alps, you can see uh, find quite a lot of um, uh, old mines, uh, and and also uh, yeah, kind of is outside of Zurich, like a coal mine. So you see. Uh, also, we don't really have a, a mining industry or a physical mining industry here. Uh, we've been mining in, in, in Switzerland in the past, like I guess every country, right? Um, yeah, so now maybe uh, as far as I'm concerned, so what I do in Switzerland, so I work for a global mining company called uh, Glencore mm -hmm. uh, in the head office, where the head office is in, in Switzerland. Uh, and in Switzerland, so we have uh, all the uh, support operation, support operation, but also everything around uh, top management, uh, asset management, technical experience, yeah. and so on. And so the company is divided in different com commodities, uh, which maybe you know, coal, oil, um, uh, copper, zinc, ferro-nickel, and I'm part of the aluminium department, uh, where 
as a financial analyst, I work, um, uh, so I monitor our current portfolio of assets, uh, as well as uh, participate in the assessment of new opportunities in the aluminum space. Well, first off, you're, you're also the first person I think I've met that's doing purely aluminum, um, which is interesting. Um, but I, I wanted to ask, when you say portfolio management, in terms of, of your kind of day-to-day activities, does that just involve seeing the value of various assets across the globe? So when we talk about portfolio management, so we see uh, uh, well in the aluminum space, we have a portfolio of assets. Uh, and my role is to monitor the performance uh, on a yeah on a regular basis, uh, but also yeah. as to uh, kind of support the operation in the assessment of uh, uh, new opportunities or new investment, whether it is uh, equipment uh, or, or expansion of operation or uh, acquisition of uh, of new assets. Okay, so so in the process, you're is it fair to say that you're a go between between the operations and the uh, cash assets of your department? Yeah, I think, uh, let's say, uh, at portfolio management, you're actually in between the actual operation uh, and and the management. So you kind of uh, report the operations uh, performance to the management. Uh, and so this can be part of like a budget exercise, uh, monthly reporting, uh, and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. And so, yeah, it kind of makes sure that uh, also the decision or the, the strategy which is being decided that the uh, top management level is being conveyed to the operation. Yeah. Good. Yeah, that's that's actually where I wanted to head um, was decision-making. So I've only had experience on the, the operation side of things. And, and in those situations, we're always told, here's our budget, make it work. Obviously, there's there's a higher level negotiation going on in a sense between uh, management and every single operation. But but I'm curious on your end, when you're looking at the various assets, how are you deciding who gets what? It's a good question. I mean, um, uh, obviously, you know, you will allocate capital uh, based on where you believe you will have the highest return, right? Uh, so yeah. if you have a, a fledgling or a struggling operation, you know, you would probably try to allocate capital differently than if you have like a, a good operation, which is looking at expanding and which is, which is performing well. So you really allocate capital based on where you see the most value. Uh, okay. And on, on, on top of that, I would say that you, you also allocate capital based on, so for instance, if you have an operation which is itself generating cash, well, you mm-hmm. want them to continue using part of their cash at least to support their operations. So not like yeah. asking them to distribute all their cash back to the uh, uh, head office or, or mother company. Right? You want them to, to also sustain their own business by on their own. So you would be supporting of, of them reinvesting the cash that they are making. Okay. And so when you say that you're you're providing support, is that kind of uh, consulting or giving advice on how they can best reinvest their profits. Yeah, you will. You will exactly. You will support them by uh, making kind of analysis of the different projects they are uh, looking at, and also being able to compare with uh, other projects that we are looking on on some other assets and comparing and providing feedback and also mm-hmm. using kind of lessons learned of on other assets. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, it's it surprises me how 
in a sense, how similar it is to like a, a government structure in a way that you're trying to allow and enable each operation to, to maximize profits, similar to how you know, many governments are trying to maximize how their businesses perform. Mm. Um, so did not think that's how that uh, operated. Yeah, no, it's really, it's really, a, a, it's, it's capital allocation, right? At the end of the day, you need to, to generate uh, returns for your shareholders. Um, mm-hmm. So you, yeah, and, and so you will, again, support operations uh, in, in, in this mission uh, while, while obviously maintaining maintaining the operation in a good state and, and uh, yeah, supporting all different stakeholders. Okay, good to know. So, um, before before we move on to new projects and investors, because I do want to get there, uh, my last question on this topic is: when you're talking with operations, is it they they try pitching what they would like to invest into, or I'm I'm trying to get at where does like the the mining engineering and the mine planning knowledge get integrated into this decision making? Yeah, so obviously, I mean, in in, in uh, just a small side note, right? But uh, in, in aluminium. Uh, uh, well, you know, you, you have like bauxite mines and then mm-hmm. bauxite get transformed into alumina and then into aluminum. Uh, and I would say the mine side of the business of the aluminum space is not that big, right? You make, you make most of the value further downstream. So either in the alumina refining process or in the smelting process. You know, so bauxite is a, is a, is a pretty cheap commodity. It's like mm-hmm. $30, $30 per ton commodity. Do you guys have that vertically integrated? Well, Glencore is not directly uh, vertically integrated. We're still a, a fairly small player in, in the industry. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think uh, that's m- most big players are actually integrated. The likes yeah. of uh, Alcoa, uh, uh, Rio Tinto, and guys like this would have some, some form of integration. Uh, so now this is just a, a small, small note to, to indicate that, you know, we, we like the mind planning thing is, is maybe not as, as important uh, in the world aluminum supply chain compared to other commodities like uh, copper, uh, nickel and so on, right? But, but having said that, uh, to get back to, to, your, to your question, um, I think, yeah, indeed, it's um, uh, uh, local assets or like an engineering team of local assets, which... Uh, uh, make proposal with regard to uh, capex plan that they have, uh, and then this will be uh, discussed with them. Generally, we also use technical consultant uh, to support or review uh, a capex plan, or, or at least uh, uh, you know, the engineering side of the capex, and uh, we will then kind of collect different information and and, uh, and yeah, kind of compare and proposal or make suggestions as well to what can change, what can be changed. Appreciate you explaining that. And then I don't want to spend too much, too long on this topic, but I, I do want to ask, how do you find the palatability of that translation? I find it hard to make that type of strong communication um, to be able to express the significance of a new CapEx um, expenditure. And so is that something that you guys struggle with? So I'm not sure I understand the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no worries. I'm, I'm trying to ask, do you, do you ever run into trouble trying to translate what the engineers are saying or, or whoever the mine planners, geologists into more financial terms? That's, that's a good question. Uh, obviously, 
you have people coming from different perspectives, right? You have the engineer coming from the engineering side and the more business guy like me who come from a, a finance side. And, 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 actually, and that's a good point. Like my job is to kind of reconcile uh, both you in a way or another. And it can be, can obviously be uh, challenging in the sense that uh, engineers will try to, uh, let's say, make the kind of sometimes the best uh, uh, project as they can uh, without mm-hmm. necessarily taking into account the full uh, context of the investment or 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 yeah, the limitation uh, and again the limitation with regard to capital allocation that we can have. Yeah, I would say it's it's a you know it's an iteration process. It's it's not like you know they come once a year to us with a capex plan, right? It's something has been discussed way in advance where you have an idea and then you kind of first support like in doing a first cost estimate and then you will refine. Uh, and, and so as part of this process, you have like multiple round of discussion, uh, with, uh, with, uh, with a engineering team, engineering team or with, uh, uh, assets locally. My final question on this topic, and this is more for wrapping, wrapping my head around what we're talking about. When, when we're talking about capital expenditures, are we talking in the order of, of millions, tens of millions, billions? Yeah, it depends. Uh, like generally assets have a, a, a kind of a limit, but they can approve on their own. And then, uh, okay. yeah, but this is very subject to, uh, well, each, each company has different threshold level, right? Uh, at the end of the day, in the head office, uh, you have different teams uh, which which uh, uh, yeah, approve uh, any kind of transaction from like multi-millions to uh, a much larger capex plan. Yeah. Gotcha. It's, so it's not again, it's not a guy, one guy who, who, who decides, right? It's 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 really a teamwork, and 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 obviously you mentioned engineering and. And, uh, and finance, but you have also environmental impacts, mm-hmm. impact, legal impact. So all these different teams and depending obviously of what kind of capex you're talking about, but there's like uh, plenty of teams uh, who are involved in, in, in all this, uh, in some of these capex decision. Yeah. Okay. No, that's good to know. And that, that brings us on to the, uh, the next topic that you, did, you mentioned at the very beginning, which is analyzing new projects. Um, and, I, and I want to spend a little bit of time here um, because I think for the most part in North America, most mining engineers and geologists, the only real exposure that we get to finance would be mine investment on new projects. Um, but I feel like you're a, a step above that, that you're not necessarily like funding juniors, but kind of looking at new greenfield projects would that be correct and seeing if they're going to have a return on investment uh, yeah no that's that's correct we probably further uh, down in the uh, mine life so we're not necessarily uh, involved a lot in, uh, in exploration financing uh, yeah. so it'd be more like and again I'm talking about my, my, my particular yeah. experience right uh, but we, we're more indeed uh, in like uh, uh, advanced stage uh, or advanced development project, brownfield, and then probably like uh, uh, more pure uh, merger and acquisitions. Okay, is there is there a real difference between the different performance indicators that you're analyzing when you're looking at, for example, buying a brownfield or versus doing a capital expenditure with one of your own projects? Yes, they are kind of d- different uh, uh, d- different approach. Uh, uh, 
but ultimately when you look at at uh, a return you know you, you're looking at a kind of a percentage uh, what they call the IR right internal rate of return of, of your book. and this is um, this is kind of the threshold you want to reach on the internal rate of return which which is above the cost of capital of the company uh, okay. So, so for I mean, engineers should have a sense of what you just said, um, but I know many geologists don't get any financial training. So, can you please just explain that last statement? No, sure, sure. So, your internal rate of return is the rate of return of your the cash flow that will be invested, right? Uh, so, you're gonna in, make a cash flow investment, cash outflow, for instance, on CapEx or, or a different or uh, an acquisition, and you're going to get cash back from your investment. And and this makes your internal, internal rate of return. So how much uh, positive cash flow is generated from your outflow uh, to, for, for, for this investment. And then when you say have it match the cost of capital, where yeah. where does that come from? So the cost of capital is a combination of the uh, well cost of equity of your company uh, and, the, and the cost of debt. So what's the cost of uh, raising uh, new equity for uh, for your company? And it can this kind of complicated or or at least. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, kind of a financial uh, calculation behind uh, and also the cost of debt which is a cost of raising debt by, by the company. Uh -huh. Okay, with that in mind I, I wanted to talk about perhaps an example of an interesting project or that or kind of your day-to-day -day as, as a mine finance analyst because I think I think that'll help the audience get a rounded view of, of what you're doing. Yeah, so look, I mean, I mean, again, I'm, I'm more in the business development uh, team, right? So I look more at, at, at new projects than, than, than existing one. So I would say a big part of the work is to assess the market, right? So you need to, to read quite a bit on, 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 yeah. So aluminum market, economic environment, and so on, just to have a, an idea of where we stand in, in the cycle or what's the, what's the dynamics of the industry uh, when you will make an investment. So this is, a, I would say, a big mm -hmm. part of the, of the um, uh, work is to do some research, actually. Then, then obviously, another part is to uh, assess new projects, so like basically to run financial model on on new project and and to kind of you know, do some form of project management uh, with regard to due diligence on on uh, on existing uh, uh, targets. Yeah. And once you once you've done, or if you go as far as uh, finalizing a deal, which which can take quite a bit of time, so especially <laughs> <in the> <laughs> <laughs> um, then obviously you my job is to make sure that, uh, or at least to monitor the performance of the asset versus what we what we initially uh, forecasted and to see how things go and what, what if things don't go the way we think they go, why and how we can, how can we rectify. I don't, I don't know if we want to spend much time here, but my, my last question on what I'll call the more technical side of, of this conversation is, is going to be on ESG. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I don't know how much you deal with ESG. I'm, I'm sure you guys have your own ESG specialist, but I, I recently attended PDAC and, you know, that's the, the big, 
big exchange between mine investment and geologists and operators. And obviously there was a lot of discussion on the finance side of how do we measure ESG. Um, and so I wanted to ask you basically what, how are you interpreting all the different rating systems and how are you addressing this challenge? First of all, I have to say ESG is a very important piece of, of, uh, of, of our analysis when we do this kind of uh, due diligence or assessing new, new opportunities uh, in the aluminum space. It's, uh, it's massive uh, in the sense that uh, I think it's the area where ultimately we get the most most questions or the more, more questions uh, when we have to present a case to the management. This is the area really? that takes the most the most time. Uh, at least that's that's my that's my experience. <laughs> like wow. we, obviously, when we do this due diligence, we we have a, we engage like uh, our uh, internal ESG team as well as uh, third party uh, consultant, and this is. It's, it's, it's crazy how much, um, I mean, and it's just because it's the way it is today, but it's, it's a major piece of the, of the due diligence. And also mm-hmm. when you start uh, negotiating uh, kind of uh, contracts, yes, you talk more about ESG than, than, than how the mine is run or what's the production level or these kind of things where, where you have a bit more, this is, Certainty in some aspect than ESG, which, which sometimes is um, is a bit harder to to quantify, uh, and and so obviously we let's say we do a, a risk approach to ESG, uh, listing all the different risks, and you know assessing whether there is like uh, high risk, significant, medium, low, uh, kind of a kind of a matrix table with different risks, uh, uh, and and also. Uh, with regard to, let's say, carbon now, uh, you have, we maybe have some approach which is a bit more uh, quantitative and qualitative, but, but we don't have, uh, well, at least, yeah, apart from these metrics and, and some value adjustment that you can do here and there, depending on, on the uh, circumstance of the environment around an asset. From a naive perspective, it, it would seem like when you're talking about low, medium, high risk, that you're you're trying to convert the various ESG risks into some type of, of common language, let's say. Um, and, and to me, it seems like the most obvious of that would be your your return. Um, is that is that how that actually happens? Let's say, I mean, the return will be affected by the uh, value adjustment, right? So for instance, a simple case, kind of simple case is, is, is carbon. Right. Uh, well, okay. carbon, you can now you can put a price on carbon. So in your model, you can say if I have a, 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 an asset which which uh, generates emit a lot of CO two, I can mm-hmm. now say this is how much it's going to cost me to run this asset because you can put a, 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 a dollar amount on, on carbon. Now, if you tell me on the social aspects, it's a bit harder, right? It's like how do you make how do you how do you make your, your, your how do you get your project a social license to operate? How do you maintain the social license to operate? And for and for this particular thing, you cannot really put a, a, a dollar value, right? This is about how you engage with the stakeholders. How do you make sure that you know people are happy with the operation? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's much more. This is much more, in my opinion, uh, much more kind of quantity. The qualitative analysis than, than quantitative. 
So that's why you go into this kind of uh, soft metrics of high, medium, low, because then it tells you okay, if you have a high risk, very high risk, can you mitigate it? Can you offset it? If not, then you're probably not going to do the deal because you don't want to be running an operation with a, a high risk of losing its social license to operate for X because I don't know, because maybe historically uh, there's been like uh, dumping of bad stuff or, you know, I mean, like uh, it's been like bad, bad environmental or bad social practice. Yeah. Okay. And, and now this, this question might be a little bit unfair, but I, I want to ask your personal opinion on how this system has been developing um, because ESG, it's still growing. We're still trying to figure it out. From your experiences, how, how are we doing? Uh, I think you need to start from somewhere, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think, I mean, where, where does that come from, right? It comes from uh, previous bad practices where basically you had minor polluters where when things mm-hmm. were going well, they were taking the money and when things were going back, they were just leaving. Yeah. And so this is why people started to focus on environment. Then you had why started to focus on, on social is because uh, some mining companies were, uh, uh, well, at least the impact of mining was sometimes disrupting a social environment around mines. So people say, okay, we have to monitor how do we how do we make sure that mines uh, can integrate in a, in a specific social setting, right? And then on the balance, you had like, it's been like some history in some instance of, uh, of, of, of corruption and, and bribery. So people say, okay, now we need to make sure that uh, uh, we there's proper governance in place. You know, this is kind of the background which led to ESG uh, uh, being now focused, right? And, uh, yeah. and and I think I think things are going the right way because you see more and more, let's say. Uh, uh, regulation, which are self-imposed by mining companies, which in some instance I believe are are much more uh, strict than than local regulation when it comes to mm-hmm. environment and social and governance. So I think that's uh, that's a good direction. But uh, yeah, I want to probe into this a little bit deeper. So I, I heard you say that that we're we're on our way, and so I want to ask: Do you have an idea of what? What the future may hold. What would be a, a good system to have? So you mean a good system to monitor ESG? Then? Yeah, yeah. To to make sure that we're we're achieving our ESG goals, and particularly, I'm I'm thinking about um, issues like greenwashing, um, as well as other issues related to ESG that sometimes might not be as prominent. Um, like you mentioned, social license and kind of the grand international scheme that may not be as as relevant as some things like carbon, for example. Mm. I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of an optimistic, right? <laughs> so, so I think, you know, again, I think things are, are going in, in the right direction. I think when people accuse or like uh, kind of challenge actions of any kind of companies with regard to ESG saying this is greenwashing, I tend to not agree. I think any any movement is a good movement, right? Uh, there's still there's still some way to go, but overall, yeah. Again, I think I think things are going in the right direction. You know, particularly when it comes to mining companies, in the sense that, I mean, at the end of the day, mining companies, I believe, have not been 
uh, of not face is not a new topic for mining companies, right? In the sense that mining companies have been working in the toughest place in the world for like decades, and actually centuries, right? So uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to ESG, maybe they've not done the right thing, but at least they've been uh, faced with this with this challenge. You know, when you see like, okay, as Vancouver, we work, we still work in tough place, but you have also companies like Barrick Gold or Exron Gold or Ron Gold, which has been operating in like Mali, uh, uh, Congo, uh, Tanzania, and so on, where, where which are not easy place to 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 operate, right? But when you see they've done, I think from what from my perspective, they've done a very good job, uh, or they're doing a good job uh, uh, complying with ESG uh, regulation and uh, and uh, yeah, uh, making sure that uh, people locally. Uh, accept their minds. So I'm sympathetic to your view, uh, but as a host, it's, it's my job to be kind of the devil's advocate here. And a, a big question that I think is, is rightly part of this conversation is, yes, so so even if someone like a bear cold is operating in sub-Saharan Africa and they're, they're doing a good job with their ESG, there, there is a fundamental question of, of whether or not they should be there in the first place. Some have cited that Eric is, in a sense, a foreign operation um, and it shouldn't be operating in, in this country. Um, so do, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, look, if, if ultimately they are there, that means that people uh, are this, I, I, I would say people wanted them there, right? Uh, so either the government, either the local population. Uh, so for me, the fact that they are operating in a specific area and that they continue operating, again, complying with ESG requirements is a testimony that uh, they are accepted there and they their place in that particular area. I mean, these, these, all these mining companies operating uh, in, in actually in all countries, right? They provide uh, jobs, they pay taxes. Uh, so I think it's actually good that some companies are able, to, that mining companies have to go to place where no one would go, right? You don't hear about Nike, Nike or Adidas uh, setting up operation in, in, in Congo or in, like in these uh, difficult countries because, you know, they rather go where it's less complicated to operate. Well, I, I, I want to push back a little bit further on this. So we started off the conversation by talking about um, kind of Switzerland's mining past, right? And, and I want to get back to that conversation um, after this question. I mean, if, if you look at all of North America and Europe, uh, for example, in gold production, they're, they're only 15% of the gold, but, you know, North America and Europe are, are probably the main buyers of gold. Um, and so it, it brings up a question for me that is mining something that is only being done in areas where there aren't other opportunities. And so it's, it's kind of the, the best of the worst. Um, so you have a set of, of bad options, but mining is the best of those. And that's why we see when there's greater economic diversification and development in places like Europe and North America that a lot of mining companies then 
migrate out. Yeah, it's I can it's a provocative thought, <laughs> uh, but uh, but I, I, I look when mining is done correctly, and when when the uh, right the the right operating environment is there, I think mining is actually great for any economy. Australia, I mean, I'm not an expert in Australia, I'm Australia, but Australia, I guess the first thing they did at the beginning was just mining stuff, right? Um, and maybe they had some other industry, agriculture and things like this, but it's, it's now a very rich country. Canada as well. Canada is a very good example. And I will even go further saying like in Europe, and it's just my view, right? <laughs> but I think that actually Europe was doing great when, when it was when it was owning its own, own metals, right? Nowadays, Europe is short of metal and it needs to do some, you, you need to uh, make some kind of alliance with any kind of, of mm-hmm. countries in order to get the metals, you know? And, and I think when you actually own your metals, when you're long, long metals as a, as a country, it's actually a bonus for your country. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm very much in, f- I don't think mining is the best of the worst option. I think it's actually a great, a great, uh, option. And if things are done correctly, uh, it can be very, very good for the countries. And I'm also thinking, for instance, of, uh, of Indonesia, right? Uh, I think Indonesia, Indonesia is, is as, as great resource potential. And I think, yeah. and this is against my opinion, I think they are putting the right, uh, the right rules in place to make sure that you know the metals are which are which are extracted are also uh, transformed uh, locally in order to create more downstream industry which kind of suddenly diversify your economy as well right so instead of just <coughs> sending laterites uh, to china they say no you have to actually produce nickel locally and by producing nickel they're like well actually you have to produce batteries yeah <laughs> and then suddenly you get from so i think yeah, if you have the, the right um, political uh, system it's not political system it's more like if you have the right uh, uh, rules policies. and regulations yeah poli- rules policies in place i think uh, and also kind of rule of law uh, obviously you, you don't want like no, you uh, endemic corruption, which kind of still holds all my value of mining, uh, then mining is a, is, is a great industry. Yeah, like, like I said, I'm sympathetic, but you know, it's, it's my job to probe these ideas. So we, we just brought it up and I think it's a, a decent segue um, into another topic that we wanted to talk about, which is kind of the, the history of mining in Switzerland and, and your experiences with mining. Um, I know in our, our previous conversations, you've talked about having both positive and negative experiences with mining and perhaps sharing that. Uh, so Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I, it's positive and negative. It's, yeah, I, I, say, I would say overall it's positive. When I say negative, it's obviously because I, I, I come from a, a mining family, let's say. Uh, well, French mining family, so <laughs> it's uh, kind of a long time ago, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, but um, my grandfather was in mining, my, my father was in mining and so on. So when I say, I start maybe with a negative, right? So uh, my, my, my family was living in south of France. My uh, grandma uh, had to, so I was being demolished because of mining. Then my granddad actually died in a mine accident. So this is kind of the negative of mining. But now in this, in this little village where they were mining, the mine stopped in in the 1980s, right? Uh, right. So we're talking 40 years ago now. 
40 years ago in this little village of 80, 80 people nowadays. There's only 80 people left. They're still celebrating the miners. <laughs> like, really? They're still celebrating the miners. They're still, like, every year you have the son and grandson of, of people who worked in the mines who, who, who reunite and they organize, like, a small theater and stuff like this. So this is the positive of mining you know there's a sense of of pride proud of of being a miner there's a sense of get together and uh, having gone through i guess tough time or like maybe at the time at least it was kind of a difficult job job uh, to work in in a mine uh, so this is a positive of mining is i'm I, look i'm not I, i've been working in mining and, and banking <laughs> i can tell you that uh, you find much more people passionate about what they do in the mining industry than in the banking industry. Like you don't do in my life from again, my little experience and I'm sure you can find passionate bankers, but <laughs> find much more passionate miners than passionate bankers. You know, you don't fall, you don't do mining by chance, you know, you, like, you know, like, Oh, I did, I did a business degree and I ended up in banking. No, you know, like I think when you choose mining, you choose because you believe in it, you know? Uh, I mean, so that's that's kind of yeah. It's a positive side that uh, I see of of mining is uh, is that it's an industry of passionate people. Uh, it's a tough industry. You have some. Uh, you can go through. It can be in the life of mining families like tough times, but you're still proud of what you do, and you. I mean that opens many doors if if you're proud of what you do because you want it in the end to be better at the end of the day. Um, which I, I think is a, a strong suit of the mining industry. Um, but I do want to ask, well, where do you think that passion comes from? You mean from a personal point of view or as, as a general? <laughs> either, either or, or both. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I think, I think uh, this passion, well, it's, I think it does, there might be a relation with the land, right? Because mining is about land <laughs> and maybe people are, you're a bit more attached, you're always a bit attached to land, you know, like, uh, you know, geologists, you will always look at the ground and look at rocks. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> uh, so I think when you, when you talk about land, people suddenly are a bit more passionate. Your passion, people are, they like their house because it's their piece of land, you know? So I've, look, I'm, I'm digressing a little bit, but I think like the fact that mining relates to land, uh, can make you a bit more passionate about it. Uh, then I think, you know, you can be like mining has been there for, for, for millenaries, right? So it's been a, 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 a long-standing industry and, uh, and itself, itself a goal, right? I mean, uh, itself a goal that is to supply the minerals needed for our civilization. And, and you actually shared with me a couple of weeks back this, um, it's great podcast or, or, or more like videos on how uh, minerals uh, contributed to civilization, which I think is a great podcast, very, very, like on all different kinds of culture. Dr. Isabel Barton's podcast yeah. on how minerals made civilization. Yeah, it's, I think it's a fascinating podcast because it covers all, all kind of, uh, of, of civilization. Uh, so it shows that it's actually always been there. <laughs> but and it's also fascinating to see how, you know, depending on, the metal situation, it could participate or not in the growth or, or fall, or rise or fall of, uh, of, of civilization. Uh, so, so yeah, so ju just to say that, I mean, being part of, of this industry, uh, which, uh, which, uh, which provides the uh, minerals, uh, for, for our civilization, 
it's something to be to be passionate about. So these are kind of two ideas I have on why why people can be passionate about about mining. What what you said at the beginning really uh, resonates well for me. So I, I grew up on a ranch um, in Colorado, so out in the mountains. The, the land use question is always a question that's slightly loomed over me, having that deep connection with the land, both in mining and geology and within ranching. It's, it's always something that's, I've, I've held dear. And so I think that's a, a really profound point. I haven't heard other people expose that view before, um, but I, I'd have to agree. Um, and then on that, I, I just want to ask you kind of more personally, do you feel that connection to either our civilizations or our, our land and natural resources through what you're doing as a, as a financial analyst and in, in the mining industry? And I'm kind of getting at, you, you previously had mentioned that you left the banking industry and joined mining. Um, and so is this one of the reasons that you did that? Yeah, I mean, I guess... I, I guess yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to move to mining uh, because I actually, I mean, when I grew up, I was exposed to mining, but not so much because you know it was kind of a dying industry in France. And I guess uh, yeah, my father was not kind of trying to push us in any kind of things. And at the time, I would say finance was uh, uh, finance was more uh, trendy <laughs> than mining. <laughs> Uh, but then I, I, I through, through the banking industry and through uh, an experience in financing a CapEx project, or at least participating in the review of a, a fin CapEx financing in a coal mine in, in the Czech Republic, I got back to understand what mining is, right? And and I really liked it, you know, and it resonated to me. Uh, and I decided that I wanted to move to mining. And, and it took me 10 years <laughs> to move to mining. <laughs> <laughs> because really? you know you like I did not have any mining experience or exposure or you know again yeah. Europe mining is not a big stuff then you had like the bear market from uh, 2013 to basically 2018 and actually I found a job in 2018 <laughs> when the market kind of recovered so it, it took me quite a while uh, and I think yeah, yeah I mean uh, you know when we mentioned when we talked previously on this capex project or, or, or acquisition project it's you're a team right it's a, it's really a team mm -hmm. working for the success of, of this transaction in the mining industry and so me as a financial analyst you know, I'm just one piece of this overall puzzle or which which uh, allows a project to be successful or at least to be completed and I'm, I'm proud to be and I really feel like I'm also contributing to the mining industry by analyzing projects and uh, and making suggestions on how to allocate capital. As, as always, you're, you're very humble and positive, which I appreciate. Um, and as we're coming to a close, I, I do want to talk lastly about um, young mining professionals and, and your role in that. Um, so you say that you're a, a team member in kind of this wider group, but I, I, in terms of young mining professionals, I would say that you're a real strong team leader in our uh, cohort. And so, yeah, can you just tell us about why in peace with Switzerland, why you founded it and kind of what you're focused on? Yeah, sure. So look, why in peace with Switzerland is fairly recent chapter now, although we be close to be two years old nearly. Uh, and so interestingly, when I moved 
to Switzerland. He was after a postgraduate in the School of Mine in Paris, where basically um, on a daily basis, I was having lunch with like uh, geologists, uh, mining engineers, you know, from doing this postgraduate as well. <laughs> and, and so I, I had a lot of fun with, uh, with, with these guys. And obviously at the end of the postgraduate, I joined the company as, a, as an intern. And, uh, and I was hoping to get this discussion continuing, right? To keep on having this lunch with like geologists yeah. and engineers and like dreaming about projects and talking about, I don't know, any kind of money. <laughs> and I did not really have it uh, because people are busy at work and, you know, people work in different teams, different groups. So you don't really have the chance to to meet uh, other like uh, mind-focused uh, colleagues or you know, don't really have the time to, to meet. Uh, and so, yeah, I thought, you know, while about building an association or at least uh, yeah, building an association in, in Switzerland around mining. And uh, I got in touch with YMP and, um, and by doing some kind of research, I actually noticed that there's a, a big mining ecosystem in Switzerland. So we talked to you about these uh, uh, cement uh, queries, which are part, uh, somehow so linked to, uh, to mining. Uh, but there's like lots of trading actually, which is being done in Switzerland, a major trading place for all kinds of uh, commodities, metals, minerals, gold, and so on. Uh, you have also like uh, great universities, uh, uh, geology, yeah, ETH and some uh, engineering school. And so we say, well, actually, it looks like it could be a good place to, to have a, a chapter here. And, um, and we, we started it. And so we've been organizing different kinds of events. Uh, for the moment, they've all been virtual events, which I think was a good thing for us at the start. Uh, because it's, I think it's much more complicated to organize physical events than virtual events. Uh, so, so the COVID was actually a blessing because you could justify starting virtual. While I think five years ago, if you started a, an association virtual, you would go nowhere. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, we were in the same boat. Um, so uh, for all the listeners out there, by the way, Young Mind Professional sponsors this podcast. And that's how Jamie and I met. Um, but yeah, for, for our chapter as well in Arizona, COVID was in a sense a blessing for those online events. Mm. And now that we're moving out of it, in-person events are a lot harder. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I mean, I guess we have the same kind of issue as you're covering uh, a large territory rather than a city. Uh, yeah. And so it's, it's, it can be a bit more challenging to... Uh, gather people at one single place. So, so yeah, so actually, uh, well, next step for YMP Switzerland is to um, organize a physical event in the coming months uh, and, and obviously to uh, continue, you know, these three pillars, which are like basically connecting uh, people, uh, networking and, uh, and uh, yeah, advocating for, for my oh, I have a few questions I want to ask about this. I, I want to ask first in a big picture sort of way. What have been some of the, the lessons that you've learned in, in starting YMP Switzerland? Um, I, and I'd love to ask this question for all of the founding members of, of YMP chapters and WIM chapters and SME, etc. Um, because I, I find a lot of them have very impactful um, messages and lessons that they've learned through establishing these organizations? Yeah, look, uh, I mean, setting up this uh, association uh, uh, not, not easy. And for me, it was kind of a learning, learning experience in the sense that uh, I, I would not 
call me myself it's a natural leader but uh, I, again I love mining and if there was one industry for which I would try to go out of my comfort zone was for, for mining because I, I, I believe in in the positive impact of mining and the need for for mining mining people mining people to to get together exchange uh, because you you're stronger together and when you when you're stronger mm -hmm. together you you also make a better impression to to other to third party I think you know when change learn may, uh, get better over time by uh, yeah, communicating uh, then you you actually have the opportunity to Like uh, again, a better impression to 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 other communities outside of yours, right? That's kind of uh, my, my view on, on why why I you know why I, I wanted to uh, be involved in in, in YMP uh, group and YMP Switzerland particularly. Uh, what I also learned is that you know it's actually not so easy to let's say to move people sometimes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, like you know people you know. Are, Their, their daily life, you know, and, 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 and to mobilize people, gather and to exchange, it's, it's not, it's not, it can be a challenge sometimes. Uh, so you need to really find, uh, you need to find a few like-minded person who kind of join you and, and so create uh, an impetus or create movements. Uh, so, so again, it cannot be a one-man show, you need to be You need to be part of a team. Put something, some few people who believe in something, and, and and then you can kind of grow from there. I think a lot of your success has been on that notion of being part of a team. Um, not to say you're you're quite a successful and humble team member for various teams. And one of my final questions for you is: What would you recommend? Um, young people in the mining industry do. Um, you said in, in your prior answer, uh, you mentioned a few things like discussing new ideas. You also mentioned communicating with others outside of mining. Um, where should our listeners be focusing their time and energy? I think there's no one single thing, right? You need to follow what you like as a, a person working in the mining industry. But what I would encourage everyone to do is, you know, if you like mining, just say it, say it around you. Uh, be you know, be proud of what, what, what you are. I think, you know, nowadays we see a lot of mining com like communication around mining, which are done by big companies and like big CEOs and stuff like this, which is good, obviously, but I think nowadays things are more impactful when it's a random guy who likes, you know, kind of uh, take his phone, go on TikTok and say why he likes something, you know, <laughs> people, yeah. they, they, they like more of this than when it's a big CEO, big corporation, which kind of, who, who promote something where people suddenly get suspicious. So yeah, my recommendation is, is more like, you know, if you, if you like mining, if you then just say, it, be proud, take, be active, be proactive in the industry. I, I have to say, I didn't pay you to say that because that's, that's one of the goals of the podcast is to get to talk to people who are not CEOs um, like yourself. So that was not planned or anything, which is <laughs> yeah, no, great but, reassurance on my end. <laughs> no, definitely. Um, it's, it's, well, I mean, and what, what you're doing is exactly this, right? It's like, it's, you're, you're, you're also a passionate person and you just, you know, take risk, do a podcast, be involved in YMP, you know, and, and, you, and I think it reflects extremely well on, on the industry and the actual people who are part of this industry and not uh, only like the top guys, right? It's like, we're, we're all here. We're like, in general, good guys, good person, good woman, good man. And, and we, we're here because we like, we like everyone else. We want the world to be 
good for everyone and and to, uh, well no I, I appreciate the feedback and admire everything you do um and so on that positive note um i think it, it's a good time to end um so jean de Bar, thank you again for being on the our resources podcast and uh yeah take care thank you Kevin. thanks for the invitation again and yeah looking forward to talk to you again 